Definitely have a garden in the backyard, which we thought was a brilliant idea when we bought the house. Because you know, who doesn't like fresh vegetables right out of the garden? It, was, it seems like such a great idea. Um, but what we have found out is that here in Pullman, you know, tomatoes and carrots and cucumbers, they don't grow naturally here. You guys notice this? If you try, it's like it is not their natural bent. So I mean, you really have to like encourage them. You have to be out there talking to them and watering them and giving them nutrients and talking to them some more and keeping the bugs and the animals away. They don't naturally grow here. You know what naturally grows here in Pullman? It's not even wheat. Wheat doesn't naturally grow here. We have to spray those suckers so hard with pesticides to keep them alive. No, weeds. Weeds are the only thing that naturally grows in Pullman, I think. And, and maybe zucchini. We did manage to get some gigantic zucchini. That's a whole nother story. I hate zucchini. But wheat doesn't even grow like naturally here. It takes so much effort, so much work, so much, uh, you know, all this spraying and stuff to make it happen. Weeds are the only thing that grows naturally here. And so that's what's happened to our garden. It's like you, you, turn, you turn away from it for 15 seconds and boom, it's full of weeds. I mean, and we're talking neck high. You go out there and it's thistles that just tear up your skin. It's milkweed that makes me sneeze and my eyes are all watery and my skin puffs up. I have to take a shower just walking through the garden afterward. And then you get the bindweed, which looks like morning glory. You've got pretty little white flowers and it winds up everything. And I mean, there's just weeds out there choking out everything. So every year we have to like constantly be pulling out piles. I mean, literally piles, over 2,000 pounds of yard debris last year out of my yard. I, I measured, I asked every time I went through the dump. Over 2,000 pounds of weeds we took away, and that was without actually gardening. We got zero vegetables and 2,000 pounds of weeds. <sighs> you guys impressed? Like, I've got weed growing skills, I think is what I've got. That sounds different in this culture than it does in other cultures, so we'll just leave it at that. Not that kind of weed, Jamie Haas. I know what you were thinking. So we got all these weeds, they're growing everywhere, but so when we would garden though, the fun part was right, you get it all clear, you till the soil, it's beautiful, it's like dark soil, and you go out there and you make little mounds, you put in your seeds, and then I would go out there every day, right? Just every day after work, I'd go, well, I'm gonna go up to the garden and see how things are doing, and, and I'm watching for those little leaves to pop up. You know that moment when those little green leaves pop up out of the ground? If you've ever gardened, it's like the most satisfying moment. You see these little, little green leaves. Yay, new little green leaves coming up. And I go get Heidi. Heidi, you got to come up. This whole row of them coming up. And I'm like, look at this one. Oh, look, and they're even growing over here and over here and over here. She's like, those are weeds. <laughs> How do you know? They look exactly the same. These two things, look, they're identical. A weed and a, and a sweet pea or a, a, a whatever, not a sweet pea, just a pea pea. Um, they all look the same to me. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to start pulling up. She's like, no, 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 you can't pull them up yet. I'm like, why? Because if you pull them up, you're going to pull up the roots of the, the plants that are right next to it. Like the zucchini I planted right there, you pull up that weed, you're going to kill the zucchini. Now, I, had, I have to admit, I did have to pause for a minute there, and I thought about pulling that weed out, but I didn't. I left it, and we grew giant zucchini. It's difficult to understand when you're in the gardens here what's a weed and what's a seed. What's a weed and what's a seed? And that actually, that whole distraction, that whole rabbit trail I went on last week as I was listening to Heidi talking about soil, was really God speaking to me, which is an interesting thing that happens in sermons. Sometimes you get distracted and you're like, oh, I'm going to focus on my knitting, or oh, I'm drawing this cartoon. Sometimes you get distracted and it's literally God speaking to you, because I've had people come to me and say, when you said this in your sermon the other day, God was just all over that and so, so speaking to me, and I'm looking at him, I didn't say that. <laughs> like, 
I said, nothing like that. That's like a whole, you, whose church were you at? And, and, but it, it's Jesus speaking to you. And that's what happens. And that's what God did to me last week. He brought to mind weeds and seeds. And that's where we're at in our sermon series on remnant. The remnant. We, we're living in a time when the church is shrinking for so many reasons. And weeds are one of them. Weeds in the church. See, the remnant, as we've been talking about, it's, it's, the word literally means the remains, the leftovers of what, you know, what's left after some sort of disaster or after a collapse or after culture shifts and changes. But in the church, we're talking about ordinary people of extraordinary devotion. You're extraordinarily devoted to Jesus, not just coming and to your disciplines, but to Jesus himself. And out of that flows this devotion to disciplines. And you're more proficient, practiced, than you are gifted. It's not that we're these highfalutin, flashy, gifted people, but we're people that stay with Jesus no matter what. You know, and actually throughout history, when you read church history, the remnant, you and me, were really seen as the heartbeat of the church. We, we are the, the beating heart of the church locally and globally. And there will always, always be a remnant, as Heidi said, because God has placed our desire for him in our heart. So there will always be some of us looking, longing, sticking with, pursuing Jesus. And the images we've looked at have been really interesting. We've looked at these images. There's some pictures up here of the images. You know, we started with a mother and child where God is looking at his people and saying, I love you as though I birthed you. I loved you as though I knitted you together in my own womb. This is this mother and child image where God professes his love for us in an undying way, a way that doesn't change, a way that only a mother can love their child. And then we looked at the bride and the groom. It was the next image in Isaiah where God's desire is for us. His desire is to rescue us. And he's not really concerned about how things look in the moment. He's not really concerned about how messed up the bride is because he sees the beautiful spotless bride of Revelation that he is drawing toward him and changing and transforming so that when we come to him at the end of the age, we will be pure and spotless and he will marry us. And we're not dressed up in righteousness only but he's also dressed us in faithfulness. He's given us the ability to stick with him. And then last week, Heidi looked at seeds and soil, that God is the seed planter, and our work in that is to tender our soil. And this week is weeds, wheat and weeds. We're going to be looking at Matthew 13, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. See, Jesus didn't leave the weeds out of his teaching when he taught on soils and when he taught on gardening. Matthew has Jesus teaching about these weeds and wheat right after the parable of the soils, which is what Heidi taught last week. And then after that is the parable of the mustard seeds. So we keep going with this gardening theme. And I want you to know that the more I studied this text, the more I went back to the, the sermon that I heard a few years ago, uh, the more I, I listened to what Jesus was saying here, the more uh, anxious I got about sharing this the more like, why did I get myself into this? Why did I decide to preach this passage of all passages? It, it's, it's, it's a little bit upsetting. It's a little bit scary and disconcerting. But there's good news in it. And so we're going to go there anyway. All right? So let's read the text, Matthew 13. And we're going to read verses 24 through 30. Matthew 13, 24. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. 
So when the plants came up and bore again, then the weeds appeared as well. Remember my garden? The plants were coming up, but so were the weeds. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? And he answered, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, then do you want us to go and gather, all the, gather them up? He's talk, they're talking about the weeds. But the master replies, no, for in gathering the weeds, you will uproot the wheat along with them. Don't pull up the weeds or take the zucchini out. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is the word of God for the people of God. And as scary as it sounds, let's say thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Jesus, I pray that as we talk about this passage, um, first and foremost, you would wake us up. God, you would wake us up to what you're doing in the world. You would wake us up to your action in our hearts. You would wake us up to your action in this church, that we wouldn't be uh, passive, that we wouldn't be sleepy here, God, that we would be attentive to what you're speaking to us. And God, we pray that we'd be faithful to follow you in what you call us to do through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus speaks this parable, and it's early on in his parable teachings, and so people are really confused by this, because this is not how people teach, right? He's going around, he's telling stories about gardening, and he's saying, this is what the kingdom of God's like, and everybody's like, yeah, man, that's so cool. It's, it is, it's just like that, and then the disciples get him together in a house later, and they're like, Jesus, that was so cool when you were talking about the gardening and the, the whole soil thing and weeds and wheat, what in the world were you talking about? And he, he says to them, he's like, okay, I'll explain it to you. And he like just lays it out for them in uh, verse, verses 36 through 43. He kind of just gives you a, a direct, this is what it is. But I, I think it's fairly obvious for us. But we can't imagine ourselves right now, like we are in the house of Jesus. All of us, sitting in the room with Jesus. And he's just taught us this parable and he's explaining it to us. He's saying, look, the world is the field. It's out there, it's in here, it's everywhere. This is all the places we exist, that's the field. And there's this guy out there and he's sowing good seed. That's God the Father, sowing seed, good seed into the world. But in that same field, on the other corner, there's this enemy. Jesus literally calls him Satan, the devil, is sowing weeds. He has literally gone out and bought bags of weed seeds and he's throwing them in and Jesus is putting out good seed, and Satan is throwing in the, the weeds, and they're growing up together. Now, the option is that Jesus could go in and weed it all out, but he knows if I weed the, all the weeds out of this, this field, then I will pull up the wheat too. So instead, what he's doing, he says, no, we're going to wait. We're going to let both the weeds and the wheat grow together until the end of the age, until, until I'm coming back. And at that time, there's going to be a great harvest, and the weeds are going to be stacked on one side, and they're going to be burned because they don't want those seeds getting back into the wheat. And then the wheat is going to be gathered into the house of God. It's pretty plain what he's talking about. The scandalous part about this passage, though, is not that there's going to be judgment, even though we don't like judgment. The scandalous part about this passage is this, that the weeds and the wheat are in here, in this room. In this space, there is both weeds and wheat. 
that's really irritating to me because you know what? I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm a romantic. I'm an idealist. I don't know how many of you are that way. Like you have this ideal world, that ideal family, ideal house, ideal car. Um, you, you're romantic. You're a dreamer, maybe a perfectionist. Um, I, when I got into church ministry, I dreamed of a pure church. I dreamed of a, of a really pure church. I, I got into pastoring thinking, look, this place is messed up. But when I get involved, it's going to be so good. We're going to make the perfect church because worship is going to be so good and the youth group is going to be so good. And, you know, it's, it's going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be like the key to making this thing all work and be this perfect, pure church. But I found out that lead pastors get in the way of youth pastors and worship pastors making the perfect church over and over again, time and time again, lead pastors, they just get in the way because they're, they're angry, they're controlling, they're messy, they're addictive, they're hurtful, seen it over and over again. So, you know, then I thought, you know, when I become the lead pastor, when I get the keys to my own community that I get to lead and to shepherd and to guide, I am going to make the perfect church. It's okay. And I'm looking at y'all, and I'm looking at myself, and I realize that I have been messy, I have been angry, I have been controlling, I have been addictive, I have been hurtful. If I had my way, there'd be no weeds here. But if I had my way, I wouldn't be here as well, because I have been a weed from time to time. You know, we, we get into church circles, and we hear people kind of complain about their church. Oh, my church would be so great if it wasn't for this or for that. Or you hear people like that read their Bible. They love the book of Acts. You guys know these people. Have you ever encountered them? Just love them. Oh, we have just got to get back to the early church, right? That whole the Acts 2, 42, they're praying together. They're committed to the apostles' teaching. They're eating together, and they're selling their houses. And, you know, people that are saying this are like the ones that need help with their bills. Like, if only the rich people would sell their houses and help me, and it's just all mixed up. And we get these ideas of what would be perfect for church. And I got to tell you, when I hear people say, oh, if we could just go back to the early church, I want to say, which church? Which early church? You want to go back to Ephesus, where, where people were all messed up with their, their gifts? They lost their first love. They were so focused on the religion that they forgot about Jesus. Or maybe the church in Corinth, where they were using their gifts as weapons against one another, and they were divided against each other. Or the church in Galatia, who is not faithful, they're, they're being bound in, underneath the slavery of, of circumcision and all kinds of things. There's all these issues going on in the early church. Which early church do you want to get back to? There was weeds in the early church. If there was not weeds in the early church, we would not have most of the New Testament because that's what Paul was writing about. Like, guys, this is going on. we got to take care of it. There are weeds in the early church. There are weeds here, but our desire is for a perfect place, a utopia where everybody thinks like us, acts like us, votes like us, uh, talks like us, looks like us. And that's why we see culturally across the, across the globe, really, whites move to their churches, blacks to move to their churches, Democrats move to their democratic states, Republicans go to rural spaces, Baptists go to their corners, Episcopalians go to their corners, and none of us are even sure if Catholics are Christians. They are. We, we just get divided from one another and go to these places because we want a pure utopian society, a pure utopian place where it's easy, it's nice, it's clean, where there are no weeds, that the garden is neatly ordered with rows and lines, and we can go out there and we can enjoy the birds singing in the air, and we don't have to sweat or work. 
it's kind of funny because Genesis 3 says that that's exactly what's going to happen after the fall of man, that we would have to work for these things by the sweat of our brow, that the garden is not going to produce food without the sweat of our hands. We live in a world where the weeds are in with the wheat. We are in a church where the weeds are in with the wheat. We are in a great war. Everywhere we go, there is a battle between good and evil. You guys are really aware of this. The Bible makes it very clear. Ephesians, there's powers and principalities that are working against us that, that are from, from uh, hell. They're, they're not from God. In the book of Revelation, it says that there is a dragon, literally. It's like this idea that gives us this image of how powerful and angry and awful this evil power is. It figures it as a dragon who is enraged not just against individuals but against the whole church. It's out to destroy that God comes to give life and life and life and more life, and yet Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is the weeds. The kingdom of God is here in this church, but so is Satan right now in this moment. I don't like that. I really don't. In Jesus' day, the people believed that when the Messiah would come, that, that the kingdom would be pure. In fact, there was the Pharisees actually believed, these were the people that Jesus often was kind of battling against. The Pharisees literally believed that unless they made the kingdom pure, the Messiah would never come. So they're like, we gotta get these right. We've gotta like make rules so we don't break rules so that we don't break rules. We gotta get this right. And when everybody like starts taking a Sabbath and nobody is walking more than a few steps and when everybody is wearing the right clothing and when everybody is coming to church at the right time and saying the right prayers, then the Messiah will come and rescue us. If a weed sneaks into that kingdom when the Messiah comes, the Messiah's gonna pull it out. He's gonna kill him. Stun. But Jesus is coming into this, this culture, and he's saying, no, that's not how this works. No, 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 no. Until the final judgment, until the last day, the kingdom of God is going to be a mix. Even here in church, things are going to be a little vague. Things are going to be a bit fuzzy. The more I thought about this, the worse it became, because then I started thinking about the parables around it. Like God, in the first parable, like Heidi preached last week, he's just indiscriminately sowing seed. He doesn't care what kind of soil is receiving it. He's just like, here's seed for everybody. Every soil type, come receive seed. That's just, that's just crazy. Just invest it in the good soil, God. And then he teaches this parable, and it, and it says that Satan is in the church. There's wheat, and there's weeds. And then he goes on to say that the church is like a mustard seed. It's a little tiny thing that nobody notices. It has to be buried in the ground, but when it's buried in the ground, eventually, someday, way down the line, it's going to grow and flourish and fill the whole earth, and everybody will come to know the glory of God. But that's not yet. Right now, it's still a little tiny seed. It's like, great. I want big, flashy, exciting, right? I want success. I want things to, I want lots of people coming to Jesus. I want powerful worship. I want, I want people just falling down on their face in the presence of God because he's so real and so here. But it's small, and it's hidden, and it's infected with weeds. That is the reality that we live in as the remnant of God in this age and every age before. It may look to some of us like evil is everywhere. You watch the news, you listen to the radio, you look down the street, you go up on campus, you, it just looks like things are falling apart all around us, like culture is turning against morality, 
It's, it's just dark and broken. We hear stories of murders and rapes and all kinds of stuff and wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and volcanoes and people dying in so many varied ways. It looks like evil is all around us, but be encouraged. Heidi brought, reminded us of this last week from Julian of Norwich, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be absolutely well. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This tiny seed, it will grow and it will fill the whole earth and all the world will see the power and glory of God. It may look like we are surrounded and about to disappear. It may look like things are coming apart at the seams. We are not surrounded by evil. We are surrounded by God. And he is working everything together for the good of those who love him. Every loss, every battle, every trial, every pain, every evil will all someday be worked together for the good of God's kingdom. Are you awake? You, you kind of have a, a dazed look about you. You're still getting your brain around the hole. There's weeds in here, aren't you? But the good news is that God is working. But in the meantime, it looks like the evil weeds might choke out the goodness of the church and the world. When I joined the church, when I chose to become leader in a church, I, I just didn't expect weeds. I didn't. But here we are. Here we are. Jesus said to John the Baptist, so John the Baptist was in a time of weeds. He was in prison. He was about to lose his life. He was about to be beheaded. And he sends a message to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you're him? Are you sure you're the one? And Jesus' response to him is this, is that blessed is the one who does not fall because of me, fall away because of me. He's, what he's saying is, blessed is the one who isn't confused by what they see going on around them but stays faithful to me. So we see scandals in the church. We see how convoluted people's motives are for some, sometimes when they serve, when they say I'm loving people. We see hypocrisy. We see power grabs. We see anger. We see hatred. And a lot of times in the name of Jesus. We get knocked around a few times in the church, and it's easy to be tempted to just throw in the towel and walk away. It's easy to just say, this place is so full of weeds, I can't survive here. This place is so full of weeds, what they're talking about, that's, this has nothing to do with Jesus. It's easy to just throw in the towel and walk away. But Jesus is calling us to be a faithful remnant, content in our circumstances, and trusting God to do the weeding, to sort it all out in the end when he comes. And in the meantime, we remain faithful. Verse 41 in this passage we read says, there will come a day when God will weed it out. He will sort it all out. I love that phrase. You know, we use that, oh, I gotta go, I gotta go sort out this problem. Or I gotta sort out that problem. It comes from this. We gotta sort it all out. God is the one who's gonna sort it out. <clears throat> it is not us. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime? Now I know that your temptation is like mine which is to look around the room right now and say, where are the weeds? I think I see one back there, maybe over there. We want to go and get, their re get these weeds and pull them out. <clears throat> we say, if I could just get rid of this person from my small group, it would be an amazing small group. If I could just get this person to stop sitting in my row, worship would be fabulous. 
You know, things would be awesome if this person or that person would go away or this church or that church didn't exist or this leader or that leader stopped being in the news. The church would be just fine. And we think, these weeds, God, are absolutely messing up your name in the world. You mean these mega church pastors who are having multiple affairs and stealing money? This church in Texas who a plumber went in there and found a couple hundred thousand dollars stuffed behind a urinal? These churches are giving your, your name, God, a bad name in the world. And if we could just get rid of that, if we could just get rid of that. But the pastor tells us all churches are infected. You know, we really try to do a good job here at Pullman Foursquare being faithful to the word, faithful to Jesus, faithful to one another, loving and serving people to the best of our ability. But I know, and you now know, that the weeds are here too. It's in me too. So what do we do? The passage teaches us that we have to, and I'm going to say this really clearly, we have to judge very, very, very slowly. Three varies, okay? Three varies. I could even add a fourth, and it would probably be okay with Jesus. Four varies. We judge very, 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 very slowly. Verse 29 says, what should we do with the weeds? Should we pull them up? Just like Heidi, ask Heidi with the, the seeds. Should I pull these weeds up? No, because when you pull them up, you could uproot the wheat too. Even the best farmers could not distinguish between what was a weed and what was wheat. They were dealing with a weed called uh, a bearded, a bearded darnel. There it is. The word almost left me. The bearded darnel. They look identical. When they sprout, they look identical. When they're this tall, they look identical. When they're this tall, they look identical. Then they put out their seed. Then they look a little bit different. And by that time, they are so intertwined with the roots, you can't pull them apart. You have to wait until they're both ready for harvest. You just can't do it. The farmers couldn't do it. The workers couldn't do it. The owner couldn't do it. He said, no, we're waiting. So it's kind of like this. You think, you're thinking, oh, gosh, if we could just get rid of Jamie, <laughs> this church would be fabulous. But if you uprooted Jamie, you get rid of Heidi, too. And I know that would be hard on all of you. You could say that, I, like, when I wrote that in here, guys, I was, like, thinking what couples I could use. And I was like, if we could get rid of Janice, then we get rid of Jan, too. Or if we got rid of Jamie Hawes, we get rid of Sherry, too. You know, you, you guys get the point. You, you uproot one person to get them out of there, and you uproot another. That's, it's, it's wheat. It's goodness. The point of the passage is we don't have the skill to pull it out. and We don't have the, the knowledge or the goodness in us to really be able to tell one from the other. And so what the passage is asking us to do is to relax, to relax and let God handle it. We say this in EHR and EHS all the time, right? Relax. The Holy Spirit has us. We don't have to fix, save, or correct one another. We're just letting the Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit's work in the Holy Spirit's time. Jesus, in this passage, takes the final judgment out of our hands. And he says, hey, don't worry about it. Relax. Relax. You don't, you don't have to decide who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong. Now, that can really sound kind of soft, right? Like, anything goes. Anything's, anything's free and easy here. You can do whatever you want. And that's not really the case because Jesus is passionate against evil. And Jesus says he will act in his time, but he does move very slowly. But we get impatient because we see injustice in the world. We see injustice in the church. And we're like, come on, God, do something about this. Anything. 
We want God to do it, do more than he's doing. We want God to do it faster than he's doing. But he is on his time schedule, and he will not be rushed by you. He will not be rushed by me. And Jesus says to us, do not judge unless you will be judged as well. For the measure you use against somebody else will be measured against you. Now, this does not mean, okay, caveat, ready? This does not mean don't use discernment. Matthew 7, Jesus is saying there's good fruit and there's bad fruit. There's true, true prophets, there's false prophets. And it doesn't mean don't use your brain because God gave you a brain, right? Everybody in this room has one. You're breathing, you have a brain. Good news. Congratulations, you've got a brain. God gave you a brain. He gifted you with that mind, and he wants you to use it. It means we do not make final judgment against anyone ever. We just don't do it because we can't confidently assess somebody's character. We can't confidently see the fullness of their life. Every failure, every mistake, every goodness, every, every love, everything that they've done that is from the kingdom of God, we can't judge it all. And it's a question that pastors get. Do you, Pastor, do you think so-and-so's going to hell? You know, I've heard it about politicians. Do you think this politician's going to hell or that politician's going to hell? Do you think they're a Christian or not a Christian? Or, you know, a classic example, Hitler. Do you think Hitler went to hell? And I realize that in those moments when I'm being asked that question, there's really a temptation for me, the temptation to make a final judgment, to take the place of God and to say, oh, yeah, that person's definitely going to hell. Well, that person's probably not going to hell. Or that person, you know, Gandhi, he was so good. How could God send him to hell? I don't know. I am not God. And it is not for me to make that determination. And it is a temptation to be God myself. And instead, I need to say there is a God, and it's not me, and it's his job to sort it out. And he will, in faith, I believe he will sort it out. It is very easy to walk with an us-and-them mentality in the world, to categorize people by good and bad, right and wrong, stupid and smart, but God is calling us to a much deeper identity in him. He's calling us to, to a deeper place of trust in him. We look and we see pastors failing morally. You know, when I see that, my first thought is, oh, those guys are weeds. We got to get them out of the church. But rather than, rather than that, where I ought to be going is, oh, but there for the grace of God go I. If it wasn't for God's grace, that would be me. I could be him. I could be her. I could be that person if it wasn't for God's intervention in critical moments of my life. That's where I would be. Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. As a people, we tend to measure others by a standard of perfection that is unachievable. <clears throat> we judge people all the time. People judge their pastors. Pastors judge their people. Parents judge their children. Children judge their parents, right? We look at people, oh, that person's really so spiritual. Did you hear how they talk? And Oh, and that person's not very spiritual. They can't seem to pray. <coughs> we look at people that have, have they, like, did they bring their Bible to church? Or are they raising their hands? You know, God doesn't like this person. God loves that person. <sighs> and then we cancel people, right? We live in cancel culture. We're like, this person made a mistake. They said something wrong. They were jerks whatever it was, I'm not ever listening to that person again. And so we cancel them and we set them aside. It's the culture we live in. But this passage is calling us as followers of Jesus to judge 
Let's say it together, shall we? Four varies. Very, 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 very slowly. And one of our best examples in the whole Bible, the guy that gets the most airtime in all of Scripture outside of Jesus is this guy named David, who as a little boy killed Goliath, right? You guys know this guy? He's a great man, gets all kinds of airplay, right up to when he actually steals somebody else's wife, commits adultery with her, gets her pregnant, then murders her husband, okay? <clears throat> it's a mix. His life is a mix. It is, it's glorious and good, and it's great king, and it's horrible, utter failure. And you and I, we're weeds, and we're wheat. We're a mix. It's who we are. The church is and always will be a mix. It will not be pure until Christ comes again. So we judge very, 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 very slowly. And I do want to say another caveat, that there is still a place for discipline in the church. Right? We have the book of 1 Corinthians that talks about this. It's, it's saying, like, there is boundaries of belief, and we're called as leaders to set these boundaries. To say this is what this is this is godly this is not godly this is in this is out and there's also warnings about safety and protecting the church and keeping people out of the church that would seek to harm those in the church that's why the first century church set up this whole thing called catechism you had to learn for a full year before you were even allowed to come to worship you would meet just with one-on-one -on -one with another person for a full year because it wasn't safe we don't know are we letting a spy in so there's this space for the church to determine orthodoxy to work and to wrestle but it's really the boundary of leadership, and leadership is very weighty. It is so hard. The hardest decisions I've had to make ever as a human being have been decisions on who to, to, who to not allow, allow to be a part of us. It's painful, and it's never, ever easy. And we judge very, very, very slowly, and it is not an ultimate judgment because I have no idea what God's going to do to these people after the fact. But I do know this that a false passion for a pure church is extremely dangerous. It has led to inquisitions, it's led to crusades, it's led to boycotts of funerals, it's led to excluding whole people groups from the body of Christ. So we have to judge very, 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 very carefully and very, very, very slowly and very, very, very humbly and very, very, very prayerfully. And then... And maybe first, look at ourselves. That's what the call is. Again, in Matthew 7, there's this whole passage. I like to call it the plank eye passage, and you're familiar with it, right? You have a person that comes to you and says, hey, you got a speck in your eye, and they're, and they're like, in the meantime, you got a log sticking out of theirs, right? This is what the invitation of Jesus is. It's is, is not just to pull out the weeds and to be upset about the weeds, but to turn and look at yourself and say, hey, am I weed or am I wheat? And where are the weeds that are in me? Where are you working in me, Jesus? Jesus teaches us that Christians are not like other people. We don't look around and blame others for, for the impurity of the church. We don't look around and blame others for the mess in the world. We look at ourselves and we say, God, how do you want to use me to correct this? How do you want to use me to bring transformation to this world? It's so easy to look around at other people and just to judge them. Did they bring their Bibles? Why are they dressed like that? Why don't they raise their hands in worship? Why are they raising their hands in worship? That's weird. It's so much easier just to look at each other and to make judgments. But Jesus asks us to look at ourselves. And this is hard because we are defensive as a people. 
I know, it's like this is one of the other things we teach in EHR, speak from the eye, Jamie, speak from the eye, don't tell me what I do. Well, I know that when someone wants to correct me, I'm like, yeah, you seen the three logs hanging out of your eyes? You know, you, we want to pick out a speck out of yours, Pastor Jamie, and I'm like, quickly, I'm like, oh, no, but look, you've got giant logs in yours. We get defensive. I, I turn, and when somebody wants to give me hard feedback, I've learned that I have a tendency to become defensive and maybe just a little sometimes combative and maybe a little bit sometimes angry and pushy, and it comes from a place of shame inside of me, of feeling broken and wrong when I am wrong. And you go to a place of fight or flight. I'm either going to put up my fist or I'm going to run away. I know this about me. But I also know that I can't begin to sort out my own stuff confidently. I can't begin to know everything that's going to come out of me in every moment because I'm a broken individual. There are weeds within me. And so I come humbly to look at my stuff. Parents will say things like, do as I say and not as I do. Anybody ever heard that before? Pastors do this all the time, okay? Like most of my sermons, you could probably encapsulate it to that. Do as I say, not as I do. I'm going to say things like, we got to ruthlessly eliminate hurry, but I am rushing from thing to thing to thing all throughout the week. I do it I get all the time. The certain days of the week, my schedule's just packed, and I'm like, I'm coming to things just breathless. And all, the God wants us to slow down so we can be in his presence. And I'm done preaching it to you, and I'm teaching it to you. Slow down, people. we got to slow down. Or I'll say to you, trust Jesus. Everything else is sinking sand. And then when it comes to making the simple decisions about simple things in life, I'm freaking out, okay? I'm just struggling to make the right decisions. Or I'll say, you know what? we got to learn to speak honestly to one another. we got to learn to tell each other when we've been hurt. We've got to learn to be kind in our speech but we also have to be honest in our speech. And then I will withhold the truth from somebody or I won't say what I'm thinking or feeling or when I've been hurt or run over. It is so much easier to say, do as I say and not as I do. And it's because I just don't have a pure enough heart to judge what is good and evil all the time and to know what is coming out of me all the time. And so I have to confess there is a God and it's not me. This is not a condemnation to look at yourself. It's not to go to this place of self-loathing and hate and anger. It's honest self-assessment in the loving presence of Jesus. And that's why we teach you the skill to turn to wonder in our emotionally healthy spirituality classes. And I'm going to teach it to you this morning. It's this great skill. When you come to a place where you were looking at yourself, or you get into a place where somebody says something, it gives you feedback, uh, it challenges your, your speck in your eye, and you find yourself getting defensive and angry or hurt or ready to run or you're feeling you know, triggered somehow, say this, I wonder why I'm feeling this way. That is in self-inspection. That's looking at yourself first. I wonder why I'm feeling this way. What does my reaction tell me about me? I'm not worried about what they're thinking. I'm not worried about what's going on in them. Their weeds are their weeds. Let's get into my weeds. It's time to wade into some weeds here. I wonder why I can't listen to that person when they talk about politics this way. I wonder why I can't love that person because they dress this way. I wonder why I can't accept this person because of their sexuality or, or their, their political beliefs or whatever it happens to be, their age or their weight or all the reasons that we judge one another. Turn to wonder what is going on in me and what are the weeds that God is trying to address in me.
The good news of this passage is this, though, that judgment will come in the end. And it really is good news from this perspective, because as we look at our own weeds and the stuff that's going on in us, it's a joy to believe that someday I will no longer struggle with the things I struggle with today. You will no longer be bound up with the things you were bound up today because you will stand before God and he will judge wheat from weeds within you. And all of those weeds will be pulled out and burned away. And yes, it might be painful, but it is going to be so, so good because you will stand pure and holy on the other side of that. And the same is true of the church, that God will judge the wheat from the weeds. He will pull the weeds out. Things will be different, and it will be painful. But at the other side, there will be a pure and spotless bride if we remain faithful. One day, God will do all of the weeding, and in the meantime, we're to work with him in the garden of our lives. We're to work with him in the garden of our lives. So I wanted to give a closing question. I have no idea what time it is because I can't see the clock anymore. But a closing question for us to ponder for just a moment is this. Who do you find that it is easy for you to judge? God is calling us to judge very, very, very slowly, very humbly, very gently, and to allow him to be judged. Who do you find that it's easy for you just to reject and to judge than it is for you to accept and to love? Because I believe that God is inviting you to allow him to be the gardener and to just love these people, whoever they may be. Let's take a moment and consider that, and then we'll invite God's invitation. Christians should be the least judgmental people in the whole world. Say that again. Christians should be the least judgmental people in the whole world. We should be the most loving, the most kind, the most generous, the most passionate, the most whole people in the whole world. But we're wheat and weeds. We're wheat and weeds, and God is faithfully working the garden. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to just close with the doxology, I think. God, we come um, humbly, confessing that things aren't what we want others to see necessarily that the truth of what's going on inside of us is both wheat and weeds. We openly confess this to you. And God, we ask that you would teach us to trust you, to trust and obey as we walk through our lives this week. God, would you open our hearts to see the wheat and weeds within ourselves? Would we be 
not heart of heart and heart of ear and, and like deaf of ear and blind in our sight, but that we would see, that we would hear, and that we would be soft to be able to hear and see what you are showing us within us. May we turn inward and look to ourselves before we judge others. God, may we become the least judgmental church in the world. May we be the kindest, humblest, most open people. God, shape us and transform us into your image, the image of your son, Jesus Christ, who loves us very much. In Jesus' name. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Go in the love of Jesus and the trust that he is sorting things out in you. Knowing that he loves you very much, and so do Heidi and I, and we will be here again next week. Go in the grace of the Lord this week. Love people. Amen. <laughs> I am going to, I had a conversation this week with Tyler about the different ways people preach. Like when you're preachy, preachy, you stand up, and when you want to have a conversation in somebody's living room, you said, I want to be stools. So this is what Tyler told me. And so I, I want to have a conversation in your living room today. Is that all right? No falling asleep. Doug, I know you've got a more comfortable chair. Yeah, and seriously, you can try these chairs out. They're really good. Um, they're awesome. So I, I was really trying to come up with the best possible preaching intro to this sermon today, and I, I couldn't find one. And so I think that the very best way to catch all of your attention is to just tell you what it, we're, we're going to be talking about today. So the title of my message is Remnant Number 5. Uh, which is a really dumb title, but the title title is Fake News and Good News. Did that catch your attention? Uh, it's such a buzzword in our culture today, fake news, right? And it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's all sorts of different spaces and different, you, you listen to one news agency and they point the finger at the other news agency and then that news agency points the finger back and they're all saying fake news, fake news, fake news. And I, I have been thinking about this for a while and really wanting to speak on it, and oddly enough, on the passage that we're going to speak, that I'm going to speak from today, I've been wanting to preach on this passage for like five years now, like since way back in seminary when I first like really understood this passage, like, oh, I got to preach that, and I've never found the opportunity, and it all comes together today to this passage and this idea of fake news, uh, because I think that fake news is one of the biggest things impacting the church and impacting the church's witness in the world today. Um, it, it, it's impacting how the world sees good news. Okay, when we talk about fake news and get caught up in fake news, it impacts how the world sees good news. And so, which is really means it's impacting our witness as a church. And so we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 28, if you want to open your Bible there, 27 and 28. And we're going to be like all over the place in those two chapters. We're, I, I, I like wanted to read the whole thing, but we would just be here till Super Bowl Sunday if I did that. So we're, we're just going to be reading parts of it in a few minutes, and I'll have that on the screen. Uh, but so Jeremiah 27 and 28, and as you're going there, uh, review of this series, kind of what we've been talking about. We've been talking about remnant, right? The leftovers of the people after the great calamity, after the horrible thing happens. 
really what we're talking about is Christendom, like the world being dominated by Christian culture, Christian morals, Christian values. That has been ending in this world for the last 50 years. In, in Europe, it's been long gone. And it's now come here to the United States, too, where we're watching the numbers of church dwindle. People that uh, call themselves Christian um, are dwindling. And then even past that, the number of people that have any concept of what the Bible is really all about, it's getting smaller and smaller. The number of stories people know, like, they're like, oh, yeah, David and Goliath, I understand that story. Or maybe they know about Jesus and the cross, but probably not. And there's a lot of just really unfamiliarity with Christianity. And because of that, we find ourselves as a church out on the margins of society. We're out on the edges. We're not the center of power. We're not the center of morality. Um, and it's not the first time it's happened to the church. It's happened many times over the centuries. And really, what we see when you look at the Bible is that it's actually the best news for us is that we're no longer the center. We're on the margins because God designed the church to be there. These are the people that God loves, is the people out on the edge and out on the margins. And so it's what's best for us. It's actually good news, and there's a lot of hope in it. And so we've been looking at stories, and you know, I'm going to kind of reveal the, a bit of the bigger picture here that you probably haven't noticed before, but we've been looking at, uh, at metaphors, right? So we've been looking at bride and groom, mother and child. These were metaphors of really about the hope that we have in God, how he sees us and how he is not going to abandon us or leave us. He's going to clothe us with righteousness. This is God's view of the church. Then we kind of shifted tack a little bit, and we started talking about seeds and soil and weeds and wheat. This is about the reality of the church. This is about that the, there are weeds here, right? How many of you guys remember? You're, there's probably some weeds in you. Um, we're not all weeds and we're not all wheat, but we are both, and it's going to be in the church. And when Heidi talked about the seeds in the soil, and really both of these were about tending to the soil of our soul as we remain the remnant. These are people, we're going to be people who are faithful, right? People who are are growing, who are becoming proficient by practice at following and loving God. And so now we're going to take another slight shift, and we're going to talk about, okay, so as the remnant, as the hopeful remnant, the faithful remnant of God in the world, how do we interact with the world? How do we live out in the world? And how do we, how do we deal with what we see in the day-to-day -day life that we live on the news and other places? And so that's why we're going to talk about good news and fake news. So fake news isn't something new. It's been a problem in our, our culture since creation, like since the fall of creation. I think that's exactly what the, the snake was doing in the Garden of Eden, right? He's, he's hanging out by the tree. Adam and Eve are there, and he's like, did God really say that you, you know, did God really say that? And he's like sowing these seeds of fake news, that twisting what God had said. What is fake news? Let's be really clear to start with this, okay? What is fake news? So, and I, I want to, here's a, a little caveat. This does come from a podcast that I want to recommend to all of you. Some of this information is coming from there. It's from The Holy Post, and I will send an email out this week with the episode on it. And I really encourage everybody to listen to it. It's so good. It is so good. It is so fair. It is, it's not one way or the other. It's not attacking one side or the other. And I hope that you don't hear me doing that today. We're not attacking. We want to just talk about truth and talking about being a people of truth. So uh, fake news is any, any false story that is presenting itself as truth. Any false story that presents itself as truth. There are really four types of fake news. And I'm just going to run through this really quick. The first one is satire. This is one of my favorite forms of false news. Right? This is the funny stuff. It's the Onion and the Babylon Bee. If you've heard of any of those uh, websites that 
They are entirely satire, they are entirely made up, and they don't pretend to be anything different. Um, it's fake news that's meant to be funny. Uh, but it can be used really in an ungodly way, and it, it's used to tear down other people. So often, you know, we talk about that, uh, oh gosh, the word just left me, sarcasm, there it is. Sarcasm literally means to eat the flesh of another person. So Babylon B and the onion can be sarcasm of that vein, where it's meant to tear somebody down. Uh, the second type of uh, fake news is misleading news. So that's, uh, you know, the headline doesn't quite match the story, or the facts are taken out of context, or they're highlighted in such a way as to make, you know, the event seem bigger or smaller than it really was. So it's just misleading. It's, it's, it's just, it's probably the hardest one to spot, but it's just meant to take you down a path a little farther than you were planning on going. The next one is manipulated news. So this is news where the facts are literally altered and presented as real. It might be a story or it might be a deep fake video, you know, where they transpose somebody's face onto something else and they can make a person do something that they've never done in their life. And they put it on, on YouTube or someplace like that and we see it and everybody goes, well, here's the evidence, right? This person is literally doing this thing and yet it has been manipulated to cause us to dislike or, or to vote against or whatever. And then the last one is fabricated. It's a story that is completely false and is designed to deceive uh, entirely. It's posing as a news source. And you'd be surprised, but there's actually been instances of people, and that's covered in that Holy Post podcast, which I'm not going to talk about much, but it's got this guy. They literally interviewed somebody who made an entire news website and floated a news story that was entirely fabricated just for the money. He was just trying to pay his mortgage, and it caused a firestorm in politics. It was horrendous. So those are the four kinds of fake news that we deal with. The reason that this is important, though, is that when we get caught up in fake news, when we get deceived by fake news, we aren't listening to truth. When, tru when we have truth, or we're living in a falsehood or a false reality, it can lead to us having a misplaced faith. We put faith in a person, put faith in a, a political structure, we put faith in a bank, rather than faith in God, and it can cause us to have a bad engagement with the world. In other words, we, we wind up dividing along certain lines, certain belief lines, and we reject people who are outside of it. And we call them weeds when maybe God has made them to be wheat, and we can divide and be broken apart from them. We, we start trusting people instead of God, and we present something less than good news to the world. So I think in Scripture there are several cases of this fake news showing up. The first one I mentioned is the snake in the garden. Is, the snake is manipulating the facts to entice Adam and Eve to disobey God. Uh, Jesus' resurrection, there's a case of fake news. The Roman uh, soldiers were paid off. They paid off the guards to tell and spread a fabricated story that the disciples took the Bible, or not took the Bible, took Jesus' body from the grave and went and hid it. And, and it says in the Scripture that that story persists to today. And it's funny, that's one of the common things that people say about Christianity, oh, Jesus didn't raise from the dead. His disciples took the body and they hid it. I mean, it's just this common story that's passed around, but it was a fabricated story. It was fake news. And then there's this story that I'm coming to today in Jeremiah chapter 28. And this is uh, coming to from a what's called a prophet fight. And I love it. It's kind of like a prophet smackdown. If you like uh, MMA fights, you know, battle royale or Worldwide Wrestling Association. I don't even know what they call them nowadays. They have WWF or WWE or cage matches or whatever. This is, this is the prophetic version of that, okay? 
two, two prophets stuck in a cage together and fighting it out. And so I'm going to read uh, just, just a part of it here, and uh, I'm going to have you go ahead and put it up on this, the, the screen. I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to give you all of the, the details around it, okay? So here's, here we go. Listen closely to this. You, therefore, must not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, or your sorcerers who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they are prophesying a lie to you, with the result that you will be removed far from your land. I will drive you out, and you will perish. The next one is from 27, 14 through 15, and this is even more clear. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are telling you not to serve the king of Babylon, for they are prophesying a lie to you. I have not sent them, says the Lord, but they are prophesying falsely in my name, with the result that I will drive you out and you will perish, and you and the prophets who are prophesying to you. So this is the, the message from God in the face of this prophet fight. So the prophet fight begins when God calls the prophet Jeremiah, who is called the weeping prophet, the depressed prophet. Um, he has been given some of the worst messages to give to people. Nobody ever wants to be Jeremiah. Um, he, he finds himself in lonely places out in deserts, ready to die. At one point, he's saying, God, just kill me because I don't want to do this anymore. It's how bad his messages were that he had to bring. So he, God comes to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, what I want you to do is I want you to go down to the welding shop at the high school and have them make you a set of shackles. He uses the word yoke, but it's shackles. It was a collar for his neck, shackles for his wrists and legs with chains in between. And then you were to go to the kings of the nations around you, including the king of Israel, and say to them, thus says the Lord your God, you are going to come under the rule of, and he uses this word, my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It's this pagan king who does not know God, who does not serve God, who does not even have any clue who God is and could care less. He's serving his own pagan gods and who is, you know, he's pretty much one of the most awful people in the known world at the time. And God says through Jeremiah to the kings, you guys are all coming under his power. And it's my, he is my servant. I have sent him. And so you were to wear this collar around your neck and say to the people, you should come under the rule of this king and wear his chains, otherwise you will die. Why should you be carried far away? Why not just submit and come under his rule because I have set him over you? And so Jeremiah does this. And you can imagine it was really popular. People thought this is the best sermon ever that you were giving. And they are all like, yay, we're going to be conquered by somebody Actually, what happens on the scene as Jeremiah is prophesying to the people in the temple wearing these chains comes this man in chapter 28, verse 1. His name is Hananiah, another respected prophet of God, somebody who hears from God, somebody who, who worships and prays, who is a respected leader, who gets these words from God that are proven true time and again. And he walks into this room where Jeremiah is standing, and he says to Jeremiah, uh, I'm going to try to find the verse here. It says, in the fifth month of the fourth year, the prophet Hananiah, the son of Azur from Gibeon, this tells you like, exactly who he was, he spoke to me, Jeremiah, in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests. He did this publicly. And he said this, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took away. He's saying... What you're saying, Jeremiah, is fake news. 
And then Jeremiah responds to him, and we'll talk about his response a little bit later. And after his response, Hananiah walks over to Jeremiah, and he grabs the collar. And uh, this must have just been a huge scene, right? This is a, the smackdown moment. He breaks the chains and bonds off of his arms and throws them to the ground and says, Thus says the Lord, we will be free. Now, which of those two stories do you prefer? Right? Which, I mean, everybody who wants to be in bondage and chains, like, raise your hands. Good, nobody. Right? The second story is the story that we all want to believe, that we all want to hear. And yet, it, is, it was not true. It was fake news. Hananiah was falsely prophesying. See, there are two kinds of prophets in the Bible. There are false prophets, the pagan prophets, right? These are the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Ashtorah, the sex god, and all these different things. They're prophets of those sorts of pagan gods. And then there's true prophets, the prophets of God. But it turns out that even amongst the prophets of God, there are false prophets of God who will false, falsely prophesy, who will bring fake news to the people. And this is what Hananiah is doing. And the result of this, chapter 28 ends with this message from God. Jeremiah comes back privately to Hananiah, and, he, and this is what God says to Jeremiah. He says, go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars only to forge iron bars in place of them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put the iron yoke on the neck of all of these nations so that they may serve King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and they shall indeed serve him. I have given him, to, given him the wild animals. And the prophet Jeremiah said to the prophet Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you made the people trust a lie. Therefore, says the Lord, I am going to send you off the face of the earth. Within this year, you will be dead because you have spoken rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. So that really uncomfortable story just got really awkward, right? Because now we've got God using a pagan king to do his will. And then we have a prophet who is respected prophesying falsely and then God killing him. Yikes. This is hard. But the point is that Hananiah's fake news led to the people putting their trust not in God, but in a false prophecy. Hananiah's message was spoken louder than God's message, and the people believed it. And his fake news led to people literally resisting God's plan and rebelling against him. It wasn't very loving to the people, honestly. He wasn't serving the people. He was serving his own self-interests. I think we can learn a lot from this story about how to navigate fake news and how to spot it in our culture today. So how do we do it? I'm going to give you some three big pointers, and we're going to kind of draw some of them from the text and some of them from other places. But how do we navigate? How do we know and, and determine fake news today? How do we pick out what when God, when, when you have two people saying, thus says the Lord, right? Or God, this is God's man for the job. When you have two people saying that about two different people, how do we split this apart? How do we know what's truth and what is not true? First point, we do it very, 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 very carefully. Remember last week, how do we judge, right? How do we judge people? How do we know weeds from wheat? We do it very, 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 very carefully because you might also be weeds. 
right? We look at the news and engage with news and share news and talk about news, whatever kind of news it happens to be, whether it's you know what's going on at the school to what's going on in politics to what's going on in world national politics, international politics, the, the Olympics can all be twisted and turned and ca to cause us to divide and round dividing lines in our culture. And so we have to learn to engage with this stuff very, very carefully. We see from this passage that God cares very much about truth. Let me say that again. God cares very much about truth. There is no putting words in God's mouth. And I got to tell you, that one kind of slapped me in the face because many times I have said as a pastor, I, I feel like God is saying, or I think God is doing, or I believe God is leading us in these different ways. And in doing so, I'm, I'm kind of, when I use the word think, I'm saying, look, this is my, what my, all my praying and all my, my reading of scripture and all my looking at the church and the culture, this is my, my best understanding of what God is doing. And I'm trying to be very, very careful because I don't want to put my words in God's mouth. When you preach like I preach week after week, how many times have I put my words in God's mouth or said things that were out of my heart, out of my gut, that weren't out of God's voice. I have no idea. But it's a very dangerous place to be in. And we do this in our fake news world, right? We start saying, well, this person's from God, or that person's from God, or this is the person that God would support, or this is the person that God would support, or this is the person that God hates. And what we're doing is we're putting words in God's mouth. It reminds me of a story that happened in a, in a very, very Pentecostal, very dysfunctional Pentecostal church years ago. This woman got up and, well, during the middle of the service and, and said, she stood up in the middle of the service and said, thus says the Lord that this lady over here is a harlot and, and starts like lamb blasting this lady in the service. You can imagine everybody's just mortified, right? They're like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. And she just, and then the lady's just like sitting there weeping in her seat because she had just been called out in front of everybody for things she may or may not have done. And then the woman was prophesying and she's like, and the Lord is going to damn you to hell forever. They're like, Oh, gosh. And she sits down, and the room's just silent. What do we do? There's this sweet little old lady in the back of the room stands up, and she says, Thus says the Lord. I didn't say that. And she sat down. <laughs> I hope that never happens to me in church. But that's what happened to Hananiah, right? Thus says the Lord. I didn't say that. And I don't want to be in that position, and neither do you. See, this judging very, very carefully the news of our day really is birthed out of the ninth commandment, which is the commandment of truth, right? Commandments aren't meant to be new weights, new slavery placed on us. They're actually how we are meant to live as free people. We are no longer slaves to falsehoods, but we are free to live in truth. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. They're statements of freedom. But living in truth and living in freedom is not easy because we have to deal with it on every level. We have personal truth, right? That's called integrity. That the person that we show the world is the same as the person we are at home. And it's the same that is the person that we are alone in our offices. Trying to bring unity to every part of our life so that we are consistent in all spaces is very difficult. It's probably one of the hardest challenges a Christian faces. Because, to be honest, we want people to think well of us. 
We don't want people to see our weaknesses or our failures. We want to exaggerate what looks good, and we want to bury what looks broken. We want to build up our images for other people. And I should probably say that within the eye. I, I know this is common for all of us, but it is very true for me. I want you to believe the best of me. So it's difficult for me to be vulnerable in the right spaces. But because I believe God cares very much about the truth, I want to learn to walk in truth and to walk in integrity and to be consistent both in private and in public. Then we have relational truth. It's not easy to tell others how we feel, what we think, what our opinions are, what our hopes are, what our wishes are. This is why this is a critical part of our EHR class. We teach you how to express these things because when we bury them, we're living a lie. We're living in this false reality where Oh, you just do what you want to do. It'll be okay. It doesn't hurt me at all when inside we're dying and we never say. We're living in this false reality, but God cares about the truth. And what we're doing is we're building all of our relationships on lies. We have all of these pieces of us that need to be living in truth. Otherwise, we're creating false realities, and our news of the day can do exactly the same thing. When we listen to news sources that are bringing manipulated or fabricated truth to our lives, and we are applying it to how we think, how we act, and how we treat our neighbor, we are living in false realities. And this is why Jesus says to us, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is it going to set you free for? It's going to set you free to love your enemy. It's going to set you free to walk in integrity. It's going to set you free to share your opinions, your thoughts, your wishes, your hopes with people around you because you are living in integrity. This is what God is setting us free for, to be the people that he meant us to be, not the enslaved people that came out of Egypt, the people that live totally differently in the new family of Jesus. So we have to engage with news just like if we were sitting in this story in Jeremiah, listening to these two prophets, we have to engage with their words from the Lord very, 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 and I will add a fourth very because it's so important, very carefully. Is that sinking in? Now you guys are like, well, we still haven't got to hope yet, Damon. You're still, you're still like, you didn't give me anything good there. How am I supposed to know which one's fake news and which one's not? He just said, judge very carefully. Because we can't be people of fake news and people of good news at the same time. We judge it very carefully by not repeating it quickly. Got it? We judge it carefully and we don't repeat it quickly. We don't unintentionally share fake news. We, well, this is how it works, right? We hear something, we get outraged, we click share, we click like, um, or we spread it to our next-door neighbor, like, did you see the headline? Okay, <laughs> I do this all the time to Heidi. I'm like, did you see the news? She's like, what news? I'm like, this happened. She's like, did you read the article? No, I just told you the headline because I got so all fired up about it. We hold on to it for a while so that we can judge it very, very carefully. And you know what this is going to do to us? It's going to reduce our discussion of news and politics in general by a lot, right? Because we're just not going to be able to talk about it yet. I've still got to sit on this. I've still got to ponder this. I've got to pray about this. I've got to look at all sides. We're going to talk about that in a minute. 
We have to navigate all of life from the perspective of truth, and that means navigating the things that we read, the news, the paper, the things that we listen to on the radio, the things that we consume on the web with great caution and very slowly coming at it with humility, with kindness, with hope as the remnant of God, knowing that we are the bride of Christ, and with openness to hear what God might be saying. Because that's the problem with fake news, right? Hananiah shared exactly what everybody wanted to hear. But Jeremiah was sharing a hard word, but it was the word from God. And I want to hear from God even if it's hard. Do you? I want to hear from God even if it's hard. Second thing that we do in engaging fake news is to check our emotions. Check your emotions. I'm sure that the people there did not like uh, Jeremiah's news, and it probably made them angry. It probably made them very upset. So when Hananiah comes on the scene and he says something that they wanted to hear, there's just a sense of relief and a sense of hope. They have all these emotions going on inside of them, but they're not really considering them. James 19, 1.19 says that we should be slow to speak, slow, slow to anger, but quick to listen. We have to check our emotions. If we, if we get triggered by certain words, if we get upset because certain things are said, people throw things out there that we don't like to hear, we can get emotional and we can get negatively emotional in such a way that our ears become blocked and we can't hear truth. Jeremiah did not respond to this message out of anger. He sat and he listened to Hananiah. He didn't tear him down. He didn't say, no, God didn't say that publicly. He just listened. In fact, he even says these words. He says, amen. I hope you're right, right? I hope you're right. That is good news, and if God is really doing that, I am all on board. I hope you're right. But what he did was he let God have the final judgment. Remember last week? God has taken judgment entirely out of our hands. It is his to ultimately judge everything. And then Jeremiah says, you know, how do you know if the news is true? The proof is in the pudding. It's going to happen, Right? It's going to happen. That's how we're going to know if this really comes to pass. He says, uh, may the Lord fulfill the words that you have prophesied and bring us back from this place. The prophets who pre precede you and me and from ancient times prophesied war and famine and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophets who prophesied peace, when the word of that prophet comes true, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophets. That's how you know what's true and what's fake. You have to sit on it long enough to see if it happens. We often just read and let what happens inside of us just happen. Well, then we'll even transfer it to others when we share what we've heard. We move to the sin of outrage. That is probably one of the greatest sins of our culture today, the sin of outrage, which is just anger that is out of control that blinds us to truth. Our negative emotions aren't bad, but they can lead us to sin. We say things like, can you believe this? Can, God would never do this. Yet, God's using a pagan king here in this story. This person or that person, they're incompetent, they're deranged, they're stupid. We're demeaning human beings out of our outrage. We tend to share things that prompt those negative emotions. Uh, statistics show, studies show that false news actually travels faster than truth. It's on, they, they studied Twitter, 70% more likely to share a false truth that prompts a negative emotion than you are to share truth. Can you, can you believe that? So that's how quick fake news travels in our culture. And yet God may be saying something utterly different. 
and we just get upset. We don't know what's going on inside of us. Again, EHR, this is why we teach you how to know what your emotions are. I'm mad about, I'm sad about, I'm glad about, I'm anxious about. When you can name these things, you can read news and know what's going on inside of you. So often we just, we just let it happen to us, right? Just read the headline, we just get upset. We just read the headline, we get happy. And we don't consider what's going on inside. We don't ask questions. What's causing me to feel this way? What's coming up inside of me? Do I feel angry? Do I feel anxious? Am I distracted and overly concerned because of this news? We need to learn to name our emotions so that the news does not control us. But we control what's going on inside us so that we can love others well despite the news that goes on around us. This is a heavy message, isn't it? I need another funny story like that lady in the front row prophesying, right? Thus says the Lord. I didn't say that. I wish it was that clear. But it's not, which is why the third thing we need to do is to learn to pop our bubble. We need to pop our bubble. When, uh, when I was a kid, we used to go to summer camp, and we would go, and it would just be this Christian bubble that we lived in at summer camp for that whole week. Like, it was just all prayer and worship, and you know, it sounds really boring, but it was really amazing, and God was just so good, and everywhere you went, you felt God's presence, and people were, like, burning all this stuff that was all those sinful things, and their bad magazines, and this and that, and they're just turning their hearts to God, and then we would leave the camp, and we would leave that bubble and experience real life, and it was hard, because you had to live out your faith outside the bubble. Well, Christians can do this with our information. We can have bubbles of information around us that prevent us from hearing and seeing other perspectives, which may, if you're listening to this text, may be God's perspective. We have to be open to different views. The difference between Hananiah and Jeremiah in this text is that Jeremiah was actually listening to the opposing side. He wasn't reactive to the other messages. He just let God be the judge. And again, it's a reminder from last week, let God judge. We take our hands off of it, and he does, handles it, and we just sit and wait patiently. We often live in our information bubbles, and we do that by listening to really just one source or one side of sources when we get our news. Uh, because if we don't do that, you know, we get upset. If I listen to news from the other side or outside my bubble, it ticks me off, right? It just irritates me. And I don't want to go around irritated and angry all the time. And yet, you're only hearing part of the news. You're hearing, really, in all of our news, the interpretation of news. Because nobody is presenting just the facts. They're giving you their interpretation or slant on the facts. That's hard. Because it means that we have to diversify our sources. We have to sort through the agendas to find something close to the truth. We can't invest in one side of information, one-sided interpretations of news, expecting to get the truth. Because remember, God cares about truth, no matter how much that source seems to go against what I prefer. See, the people in Jerusalem, they only had two sources to choose from, Jeremiah or Hananiah. We have hundreds, hundreds. And it seems like every day you turn around, there's a news source. And they're just putting them, and we don't know where they're from, what their agenda is, what's going on. They're just news stories that are being put out in front of us, and we don't know what we can trust. But we can't afford just to dismiss something as too liberal or too conservative. 
It's not easy, and it is very, I'm going to use very again, very, very, very time-consuming. You need to at least listen to two or three or four different perspectives to begin to get at something close to the truth. I wanted to give you a resource. Uh, I, I learned about this and, uh, recently. It's this website called allsides.com. Allsides.com. And what it is is it's a, it's a site that gives you uh, stories under the same headline title from three different perspectives, right, left, and middle. And you can read those stories, and you can see how they're slanted toward their particular perspective. Even the center is a political stance, okay? It's, even that is not pure truth. It's got its own little leanings and stuff. But if we can sort through and listen to all the perspectives, we can begin to get at something like the truth. We have to be willing to listen to dis different voices without discounting them, and that is extremely hard. But we, as followers of Jesus, are responsible for breaking our own echo chambers, from living in, in a space where we're just hearing our own opinions reflected back to us over and over again. And it's really, it comes out of Jesus' teaching to look at the log in our own eye. We brought this up last week. We, we are likely to have problems with our vision, so we need to check out what we think and what we believe before we try addressing it in others, right? Before we go attacking, saying, oh, you're wrong, or oh, this is not what God is saying, we have to be really clear what's going on in our own eyes. Which also means that we have to be aware of this thing that I spent a bunch of time learning about this last week called confirmation bias. Anybody ever heard of that before? It sounds so smart when I say it. Confirmation bias. This is our tendency as human beings to disregard that which does not fit with our worldview. So this is the people of Jerusalem saying, oh, Hananiah's message is great. This fits with my worldview, right? This fits with my vision for Israel. God, it, he made us a set-apart people. He made us a powerful people. He gave us this land. We have this temple. We have all of this stuff. This is the way that God intended things to be. This is my worldview. And so they listened to the one message over the other, and the problem is, again, that that was not what God was saying. Human nature is to discount information that does not fit our understanding of things. My nature is to discount things that do not fit my understanding of things. Like, when somebody tells me that the earth is flat, okay, my understanding of things is we've been to space and the earth is round. And so I'm just like, I want to discount them completely out of hand. Like, you're dumb. But seriously, that's, I, I can't believe that anybody could believe this. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But what I'm doing is I'm tearing that person down. I'm not just their belief, but I'm discounting them as a human being because they challenge my, my bias. And it could be anything. The moon is made out of cheese, or maybe it's made out of rock. I mean, it's all over the place. You can go to the Internet and find any kind of crazy belief that you want. They're out there. But we can mistakenly label things as face and fake news if it doesn't conform to our worldview. And very often, God's views, God's plans do not conform to our plans. Because God's ways are not my ways. God's thoughts are not my thoughts. When God has got his thought, we want to be clear on what it is and not take ours and project it on him. Great examples of this, using a pagan king to do his, his bidding. He calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. 
Or how about sending Jesus, be it a poor carpenter and, and his family in a backwater town in the middle of nowhere where nothing good ever comes out of. Or using a Roman torture device as a symbol of their total power as this instrument of salvation for the world. God's ways are not my ways. And you know what? If that's not enough, you just have to remember that God chose you and he chose me to represent him. God's ways are not my ways. God's thoughts are not my thoughts. Not many of you, Paul says, were wise or powerful or important in the world's eyes. God chose the foolish things to despise the wise things to show himself powerful. Those do not line up with how I think God would do things in the world. And so we have to be very, very careful of our biases. Very careful about how we engage technology. Technology talks, when, when, when they put a news story on and it, and it gets promoted, it doesn't get promoted because it's truth. It gets promoted because the algorithm is measuring engagement. So if a person is angry and they click angry face, it gets promoted to the next level. And that's how the news is spread today. It's spread on engagement, not on truthfulness. False news travels faster again on Twitter because it's, it's fake and people pass it on. Just because people read it and like it or hate it does not make it truth. And the studies actually show that conservative Christians like you and me are more likely to be fooled by these things because of our confirmation bias. We have to judge very, very carefully. I didn't want this message to be a list of like, okay, here's, here's, here you go, here's what you need to do. Go home and do these five things with the news and sort it all out, and then we're all going to come home next week and back to church, and we're all going to be like living completely truthful. And we're all going to agree because the truth will be so clear. We live in a world that's going to be fuzzy, right? It's going to be fuzzy until Jesus comes again. It'll be clear at that point. But until then, our job is to try our best to live in truth and to be faithful, faithful, faithful in the midst of a very confusing world. And so we have to learn to give one another loads of grace, so much grace. We have to learn to speak humbly. Oh, so humbly, because pride, right? That just gets in the way. Our, our sense of what we know to be right and wrong builds us in us pride, and that leads to all sorts of sin. We have to come so humbly toward the news, so humbly toward what we know to be true and right, and we have to be faithful, faithful, faithful to what God is saying to you through scripture, through, through prayer, and to live and walk that out. We want to be faithful agents of truth and goodness. We want to be good news to the world and not bad news. And so I'm going to end my sermon today with just a chance to practice, okay? Just a chance to practice. And what I want you to do is I want you to think about the first news story from this last week that you heard that pops up into your head. And I'm gonna, we're gonna take a minute of silence and I just want you to ask yourself, how did that news make you feel? Okay, how did it make you feel? Did it prompt anger? Did it prompt anxiety? Did it prompt hatred? Or did it make you happy? Let's just sit with that for a minute and let God speak to you through that.
what do you need to do with that? I don't know. But it is the beginning of questions for you to explore what is going on in you as you engage the news. It begins by working on the soil of our own hearts so that we can receive the good seed that is God's word to us, his truth. We have to work out the weeds in our own hearts so that we can hear him and be good news to others. I want to end with this statement that fake news may be very, very powerful in our culture, but it is not the final word. It is not the last word. Someday, God will speak, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess the truth of who God is, and you and I will be among them. And let's hold on to that hope that we can be agents of truth and goodness in the world in the midst of confusing and fuzzy fake news as we remain faithful, trusting that God will have the final word. As we do that, would you stand with me? And we're going to sing the doxology to close, and we will go and look at news a little differently, I hope, this week. Would you sing with me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here be.